This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Autzen Audible's podcast, a Sunday morning edition. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel from DuckTerritory.com. And the day that kind of everyone was fearing if it would happen at Oregon, uh, everyone kind of maybe expected it, but nonetheless, you hoped it would never come and has unfortunately come for the Oregon Ducks. And multiple people within the program have tested positive for COVID. Uh, what this means going forward for the Oregon Duck football program, we're going to discuss that here on the Austin Audible's podcast. But first, I want to remind you guys that you can subscribe today for – as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 thereafter that, or subscribe with an annual membership, $75.18, one-time payment, save over $36 compared to that month-to-month price. Now, Eric, it was kind of a deal in which we were all caught off guard by this. Um, yeah. It was Saturday night. Oregon was going to have their second scrimmage of fall camp. And quite honestly, this was like the equivalent of, of cut day, you know, that, that preseason NFL scrimmage in which jobs are won, jobs are lost, guys secure a spot on the roster and, and whatnot. And obviously, in, in college, they, they can't um, cut players and they, and they don't cut players. But at the same time, this was a deal in which position battles were going to be won. This was going to be a, a, a situation in which a player was going to figure out, okay, am I starting? Am I the second team? Am I the second team or am I the third team? And that has all been postponed because of what Mario Cristobal said, five players with their daily testing have tested positive for COVID. And look, this is now they're going back contact tracing, figuring out what their next steps are. Um, And this is the importance of daily testing is because it catches it early. Absolutely. And just to pull back the curtain for, for a second here in terms of what Saturday night was like, I mean, we were all set to be on a call with Mario Cristobal at 725 and we actually, we, a Zoom call with him to talk about the second scrimmage and we had all, we were already waiting to be on the Zoom call, you know, like up until the minute that we got an email from the university saying, um, yeah, that what Matt just reported there, which is that there were, there were five positive antigen tests and that the scrimmage had been canceled. Um, shortly after Mario came on, and, and and I think I appreciate the fact that he wanted to communicate face to face what had happened yeah. and kind of give more detail. Um, he did that, and it was about a, we were expecting to get probably twenty to thirty minutes of interview time with him talking about the scrimmage. And like Matt says, like this is, and we'll talk about this in a second here, but this was like this was like almost a spring spring game kind of thing in terms yep. of the value of this event, and uh, and they had to they had to cancel it. So um, really, really weird, and I think you're still kind of trying to wrap your head around everything. And, and I think obviously there's a total lack of clarity in terms of kind of what the next couple of days are going to hold. I think it's going to be dependent upon, as Matt said, um, the daily testing that will continue today on Sunday um, and going over the next couple of days to see if, if this is just the five, those five players who are, as uh, Cristobal said, are all asymptomatic and, and uh, isolating right now, or if this is a, a bigger outbreak and there are more players that are impacted or more staff members or, or whatnot impacted. And, 
And if there are, who knows what happens after that? So, I mean, th- th- this is, I think there's a lot of just, we're kind of trying to just piece together what's going on, but also understanding that we don't have a full understanding of everything and we don't want to speculate too much, but this was a, a big loss. The Saturday scrimmage was, was a really big loss. That was the final scrimmage, full scrimmage before um, the team was set to play Stanford in about two weeks. It was a two weeks in, in, front, in front of that. And really that was going to mark close to kind of the, transition period from what is fall camp into a quasi kind of game prep week. So um, valuable, valuable time lost on Saturday. And, and again, I think we all kind of expected this is something that could happen. Um, the timing of it stinks. And, and obviously um, I, I think it puts a little bit of a challenge now um, on this program in terms of kind of getting everything back established and in line. Cause I, I brought up in a, in a column last night, kind of the equivalent of, of taking a, a couple down and a couple yard loss on first down. It just puts you off schedule and now kind of Oregon's going to have to scramble uh, to maximize the rest of, of their fall. And real quick to go through what we know, um, Oregon will test again today. Like they always do on Sunday. And Cristobal said that the five personnel, we don't know if they're players, assistant coaches, a, a mix Right. Um, we should clarify that. But whoever is tested positive, the five positive tests, will then take a PCR test, which is a more accurate test than the daily testing. And that that testing will be critical of what happens next because um, if it comes back as a negative, then in the eyes of the Oregon Health Authority here in, in the state of in, in, in Lane County, um, that becomes a net negative, meaning the PCR test overrides the antigen test. And those five players probably would still isolate for a couple of days out of, um, and I don't want to speculate too much, but I would assume maybe, you know, a, a smaller isolation window just to double check. Yeah. Um, but it would come back as a net negative, meaning they would be in the eyes of the local health authority clear. PAC-12 does not have a policy yet of what that means. Um, so that's kind of up in the air of, of you know, Pac-12 is going to have to move quickly here of if they come back as negatives via PCR, are they net negative in the eyes of the Pac-12 like they are in the eyes of the Oregon Health Authority? And if, if they aren't, if they, if they aren't or if they test positive again, then it becomes, well, what's next? Uh, you have to contact Trace. Cristobal has said that they've already started doing that. Uh, they're working with the local health authorities to do that as well. And that he noted uh, that they're they're very diligent and there's a, a, a lot of in-depth reviewing that goes back with that. So it feels like we know today, Sunday was an off day for the program, but it feels like maybe Monday could be an off day, potentially, you know, Tuesday, you know, the Ducks could end up seeing maybe a couple of days get wiped out from this season or, you know, from this practice schedule. And like I said, that's the part that is really potentially problematic. And, you know, speaking with coaches and, and players last week, this scrimmage and, you know, it was really integral, like I said earlier, and, and just in general, like these practices, you know, it's a different year. And, you know, I'm going to read a quote here from Joe Moorhead that he was talking about um, you know, just, just trying to install a new offense, which in and of itself is challenging, but under these circumstances especially, and this is from Friday before the scrimmage, was set to take place he says you're trying to put a new offense in against an incredibly well-coached defense and do it all at a very high level in a short amount of time time is not your friend um and certainly 
losing Saturday scrimmage. And again, I don't want to speculate too much, but I, it certainly seems reasonable to expect there's going to be some impacts going forward the next couple of days um, from a practice schedule perspective. We don't uh, have not received any word from the University of Oregon on what their week looks like. We usually do get that um, Sunday afternoon or evening anyway. So um, hopefully we have more of a, more clarity on what that looks like later today. But um, I mean, and it's just not, it's not just the install that gets impacted, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Oregon has to get cleared here uh, or, or figure out here in terms of position battles, personnel considerations. Um, Oregon offensive line coach Alex Mirabal basically said Saturday scrimmage, and, and Matt kind of addressed it earlier in terms of cut day of, of like, that was going to be an extremely instructive day of practice in terms of figuring out who this new, you know, who the new five players starting on the offensive line are and, and maybe where those players actually, you know, start in terms of, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. So these days are lost, and there's no way to really make this up. I mean, the, the game on Saturday, you know, Saturday, November 7th against Stanford, that date is not going to change. That yeah. is when Oregon is opening its season. There's no wiggle room here, and um, it's not like you can make up this fall camp practice at another date. You know, you don't get this preparation. You lose this preparation, and now it's – and now we really kind of get to see a little bit of, of kind of how they're going to work on the fly here, and, I, and I'm sure that they had already discussed these sort of – possibilities and the contingency plans that would take place. But this is going to be another test of this program's culture without question um, of just kind of how do they react to this? Because again, uh, like Moorhead said, time was not their friend already and they're losing more valuable time, you know, not just in Saturday scrimmage, but possibly a couple of other practice periods this week. And uh, that's not ideal. That's really not ideal in a fall camp where there was a lot of things to kind of address and gets, you know, sorted out here new coaches, new players, um, re retooling certain parts of the offense and the defense. Uh, you just put yourself a little bit behind the eight ball. And I shouldn't say you put yourself because it's nothing, it's no one's fault. Um, but they are behind the eight ball, I think a little bit now because of what's transpired in the last 24 hours. So what's next for this program? One, this scrimmage impacts multiple position groups, but I think I wrote this on, this, on DuckTerritory.com, like, the five kind of decisions that were most impacted by the, the scrimmage being ca canceled. And I, Eric, I think you and me would be in agreement. And so I'm going to assume here uh, the most impacted position is the offensive line. Um, it, it, do you agree with that? Yeah, I absolutely. Cause I, like I said, a second ago, Alex Mirabal, um, there's, I'll read the quote. He says the closest thing these guys have to playing a game was last week's scrimmage. This was on Wednesday. Um, we have another scrimmage on Saturday after the second scrimmage, then you'll start solidifying a little bit more permanent spots. So absolutely. That was what Andy, or that was what Alex Mirabal had addressed and kind of said was, Hey, it's a little early to really totally know the clarity of who the five guys are going to be, but we'll have a really clear, a much clearer picture after Saturday's scrimmage. Well, they didn't get that scrimmage period. We don't know if they're going to be able to make up that scrimmage period or how that's going to play out. Um, and, and now you kind of, I think you're, if you're those guys, you're, you're just feeling like, well, we're going to have to evaluate based upon a little bit or evaluate a little differently. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think to me that is the one that I would say is the most impacted by this. And I think people would, would naturally gravitate towards quarterback. Um, they, would, they would think, hey, well, why is you know, the quarterback the one that makes everything run? But I think the fact that it doesn't matter how good of a quarterback you have, if you don't have a viable offensive line – and you haven't developed that chemistry together as a, as a unit of five. I mean, I remember uh, Stephen Jones and George Moore talking about 
last week uh, leading up to the scrimmage that the goal is, has been, you know, five individuals, one mind working together. Uh, right. You know, you, you also hear the analogy of, you know, five fingers, one fist um, type of a deal. And you, this scrimmage was all was going to be about not only figuring out who starts along the offensive line, but where. And because remember, like, I, I feel like it's pretty safe to say that Forsyth is really the only guy that's kind of locked up his position. And that's not because he's just by and far the best player along the offensive line. It's just he's the best guy at the one position that doesn't really carry a lot of versatility. You know, it, it, a lot of the guys in player are, are fighting for two or three positions. And center is one in which typically you have a guy that plays typically center or maybe tackle. Um, and that's what kind of what Forsyth is. And he's kind of done just the best job of, of securing the center job. And now it's what's, what can you do to, to field the best, you know, starting five around the center. And that's what's left to figure out. And the scrimmage is knocking that out, that opportunity. I think quarterback is the second most important. I think we've, we 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 kind of know Tyler Shuck, or at least feels like Tyler Shuck is the odds-on favorite to win the job, is more than likely going to get the job. I mean, I, I think you and I were kind of expecting, you know, in the next couple of days, had the scrimmage gone off like as according to plan, that, you know, they would have come out and announced their starter and we would have expected it to be Shuck. But I look at this scrimmage as an importance of figuring out the five offensive linemen in their positions and working with Tyler Shuck with those guys at that spots to get yourself ready to go. Like that's where you've lost some valuable time of really figuring out what units work best together uh, in what positions for the offensive line with Tyler Shuck. And even if it's not an evaluation that you're losing out and you still feel like Tyler Shuck's clearly the guy, you're losing valuable, like competitive game sort of reps, yep. which was really important for this, for, for Tyler Shuck and for the offensive line. Um, like the quote I read earlier um, from Mirabal, like this group of offensive linemen has one start amongst them and yeah. not a ton of like real game reps that are meaningful. Tyler Shuck has no meaningful game reps, basically. I mean, I don't, I, that's not totally fair. I know he played a little bit in second halves of games last year, but none where the game was on the line or anything like that. And, you know, these, there's only so many opportunities. Again, he didn't have a spring game. Um, there's not, there's not that many opportunities for him to simulate a game scenario. And uh, again, we don't know if they're going to find a time to, to play the scrimmage this week. I'm going to guess they're going to try like hell to do so. Um, because again, this, this feels very important. I mean, they, they didn't have a spring scrimmage and to only have one false scrimmage before you play your first game. I mean, that's one, one live game, basically one live simulated game before you open a season against Stanford, nobody likes the sound of that. So um, it's not just the evaluation period of the impact of it. It's, you know, it's, it's the fact that these, a lot of these players in important positions just haven't played in, in games. And right. I know a scrimmage is not a game. And Andy Avalos had a good quote about how, you know, it's, it's different when you label it a scrimmage and you roll the ball out there, it feels like a game and it's not exactly a game, but it's about as close as you can get to being a game without being one. So um, I think that part, I and mean, it's not just the evaluation, it's it's also just the, the development piece of you, like Matt said, it's it's five offensive linemen as one. You can only kind of do so much in practice, and I know they do a lot of simulated situational work, and and, and, and I'm sure they're going to try to amp that up as well this week, but um, it's certainly far from ideal in terms of just trying to get this this group prepared for, for again, you don't, 
you're not opening the season with, you know, nor- Northern Iowa or something. You're opening with Stanford and you really would love to have your team as prepared as possible. And I think you just kind of wonder kind of what that preparation looked like and, and kind of how this impacts that. And just from a comparison standpoint, neither of these two programs um, are even close to the level of talent that Oregon has on their roster. And, but just look at it in a, a, a broader view. Uh, last night, UNLV, they made their first, they played their first game. And on the telecast, they noted because of, um, you know, COVID-19 and because of the timeline that they had to get back and play, they had just six padded practices. They had just one scrimmage and they had, you know, a limited number of walkthrough, you know, lighter practices than they typically would. And in that game against San Diego State, granted UNLV has historically been one of the worst programs in the country. But in that game against San Diego State, I don't think anyone looks at San Diego State and thinks this is a, a, a juggernaut. But the running Rebels had less than 100 yards of total offense in the first half. They didn't, they didn't score at all. You know, they, they had nine yards in the first quarter. They had negative passing yards, which is impossible to do in the first quarter. Go back and, and wa- remember that first Navy game that we saw when their head coach came out and said that you know, they didn't do any tackling. They didn't do any uh, hard hitting in practice because of fear of, of Corona. And you could, obviously there are different scenarios, you know, like, but they limited their practice reps. That, that's, the, that's the key thing for me. And both teams really struggled out of the gate in those games. And I'm not saying Oregon's just going to get steamrolled by Stanford. I, I still think that they are the better team and that they would beat Stanford uh, in two weeks. But this drastically alters just the course of the season and the, the development of this team going forward. It's not, you know, and I, as I wrote in my column um, that's on the site today, uh, you know, just talking about the valuable time I lost, you know, you know, there's, it's not, it's not, there's no level of fairness here because of the COVID thing. You know, everybody doesn't get the same number of practice prep, preparation. Everybody, I mean, they in theory have the same amount of time, but these sort of instances like Stanford doesn't, isn't forced to take four days off in this preparation right. because Oregon did. Um, or, and I'm, and, I'm, and the, the four days thing is speculative on my part. So whatever the day's number ends up being, you know, Stanford doesn't have to be you know equitable and say okay well Oregon didn't get to take do their scrimmage so we're not going to do our scrimmage like Stanford's just going to continue its business as usual down there and and you know how smart that coaching staff is and, and how they'll try to work to maximize that time and I also don't want this to be a you know the, the world is ending and, and you know it's chicken little right now but I think it's reasonable to expect that, that this is going to be fairly impactful in terms of the, the preparation and kind of getting everything sorted and it'll be really I think I'm very curious to see when we do speak with Mario Cristobal next, whenever that is kind of what the contingency plan was and, and, and objectively, like how much he thinks this actually impacts the preparation for a season. Um, because again, they had four spring practices. They didn't have a spring game and, and now they have had one spring scrimmage and we should note 14, I think practices already in the book. So it's not like they weren't practicing. I mean, they certainly right. have had time to get ready, but um, you need to, you need as much time as possible this year to, to get ready for a season. And um and again, the Ducks have lost a couple of days that are, that are really important. And, and now we'll see how it, it picks up. Um, did you have other position groups you wanted to run through that you were you think were impacted by this, Matt? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the receiver group, I mean, there's going to be a lot of 
figuring out of who's behind the big three and the big three being Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman. Um, I, I think Chris Hudson's going to be a dude. I think Devin Williams and Brian Addison have opportunities to be dudes. I think there's a lot of guys on this roster that are going to be good players, but they need the reps. They need the, the game simulation to get there. They need the development to get there. Uh, and we need to figure out if, if they're ready or not for what they have. So I, so I think the receipt, the, 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 you know, figuring out four through seven or eight uh, at receiver is kind of a, a very important scenario for the team and what they need to, what they need to, to learn about who they are, what they've got. I think figuring out who backs up KT at defensive end, Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau. I mean, last year, people forget, I mean, KT is, one of the, is going to be one of the best rushers in uh, all of – pass rushers in all of college football this year. I, I think he's going to be one of the best defensive linemen, but he didn't start until like the sixth or fifth game of the year because Oregon felt like they had two viable candidates, one being – KT two being Gus Cumberlander and it took an injury to Gus to elevate KT full-time into the starting lineup. And so, you know, with that knowing like what happens if KT gets hurt, what, what happens uh, if he gets sick or what happens if he gets hit with a targeting call, he can't play every snap. We know that. I mean, no, no person, and this isn't a slight against KT. No person can play every single down, on defense, he's gonna have to come off at some point for a breather, and who is gonna be that guy that that comes in for him? I, I think that's starting to to really for me be a a big question of just who provides you know some kind of pass rush for for Oregon if if it's not KT. Absolutely, and you know, Mar or, uh, Andy Avalos did run through some of those candidates. Adrian Jackson, um, Andrew Folly was a name I hadn't heard a whole lot of before, but he mentioned him used a cool term of, of havoc rate was how they measured it in practice. But the, again, these are, these were live game rep, repetitions or co close to quasi live game repetitions that you lose. And, and I don't think there's like, I'm not going to say the Oregon's going to be terrible rushing the passer, but I do think there's some concern there and, and you would have loved to have had uh, another scrimmage to evaluate that and, and kind of build those kind of things up. Um, I think this defense is going to be really, really good. And if there is one area of, of kind of concern, I agree with Matt. That's probably the place I kind of land. And I think we said that um, in our last podcast earlier this week in terms of like what were our biggest concerns defensively. We both landed there and, and we were both excited and kind of curious to see kind of how Saturday scrimmage would impact um, kind of the perspective of that from our Cristobal and the rest of the staff. Now, let's end it here. Um, you, you said something earlier in the show how you didn't want this to be just super negative. Um, of a podcast. Let's try and find some positivity to end the show with. And I found some ESPN has updated their FPI rankings and the chances of each team in the PAC 12 winning their division. And Eric Oregon's chances compared to everyone else in the PAC 12 North is astronomically high. How, uh, I, let's real quick guesstimate what ESPN projects the probability that Oregon wins the Pac-12 North, and it's been updated today, the 25th. And I will say, I have not seen this. Um, so this is this is Oregon's probability of winning the Pac-12 North. It's not right. it's not winning all their games. Okay, uh, I'll say 90. percent You're a little high. Okay, <laughs> I thought <laughs> you said it was really positive, so I was going to go really it's high. 71.7 percent to win the Pac-12 North, 
Washington is the second closest at 9.9%. I mean, that seems, that seems honestly not that unreasonable to me. I, I think I'm kind of surprised it's not Cal. Um, but I know based upon past seasons, the FBI seems to F Cal is actually third. Oregon is first at 71.7 or fourth, excuse me. So Oregon is really? one at 71.7 chance percent chance of winning. Washington is second at 9.9% chance. Stanford is third. That blows my mind away at 8.6. Cal is at 7.7 at fourth. And then they give the ESPN FBI gives Washington State a 1.3% chance of winning and Oregon State a 0.8% chance. Stanford, Oregon State doesn't even have 1% chance to win the Pac 12 North in the eyes of the, of the ESPN FBI poll. Um, and if you want to look at just kind of maybe the competitiveness in their eyes between the North and the South divisions, USC is 62.6. And, you know, they're, they're the overwhelming majority leader, but Utah is at 28%. Like there's a, there is a clear cut challenger in the South for USC. Like it's more than likely USC wins the PAC 12 South, but if it, if they don't, there's like that clear bonafide team that everyone kind of assumes it's going to be them, if not USC. And the Pac-12 North, it doesn't feel that way. Like it, it's it's going to almost feel like more of a shock that they don't win, that Oregon doesn't win the North, it, it, if that happens. I, I'm kind of having a hard time moving past Stanford having the third best odds and almost having <laughs> as good of odds as Washington. I, I know it's based some of that. I know some of their model is based upon like the recruiting rankings and stuff. And I know Stanford from a talent perspective on a recruiting like would still be really like they, they think highly of them but boy they were not very good last year and boy did Cal seem a lot better last year and Cal brings a lot back and Stanford loses a lot so I'm, I'm kind of perplexed on that one to be honest with you and I, and I guess I'll just say I, I think 70 percent and I said 90 kind of just thinking it was going to be a crazy number but 70 like percent seems like not that absurd to me right at this moment here, um, just given what we know about the programs that are in contention. And, and, and if you're an Oregon fan, I think you have to feel really good about what um, the national perception is of Oregon right now, which is pretty clear that they are the preeminent team out West in this conference. And it's not that close. And I'm sure there are these other teams in the North probably feel like that number is high. I think it's about right. And, and, and we'll see what this season holds. And it's a weird season and the probability probably should include some sort of sort of metric to, to, to communicate that part of just like it's a COVID season. We don't know everything is going to play out, but um, I, I feel, I think we all feel really good and I feel probably even better now talking to players throughout this last couple of weeks. And maybe this is a way to, for me to end it from a positive perspective, but uh, you know, we're not in practice where we don't get to watch this, this fall, but there has been an overwhelming sense of positivity from basically every position group, um, from every coach we've spoken with, and almost every player we talk about, and I know that's I'm sure that's part of the culture. They don't want to badmouth their players and stuff, but I, I do think that there is I do think there is a lot to be excited about, and there are players that we were excited about coming in, and we've had that reaffirmed that they're playing well, and there are players that we kind of thought were afterthoughts that we're hearing now are it's going to be significant or could be significant contributors. So I think there's a lot. I know. Again, this, this, as Matt said, this, this podcast could focus on a lot of negative things, um, but I do think it's worth just noting that, like, aside from the last twenty-four hours in the news we've we've had, um, it's been positive. It's been a really positive camp. It's been a very, very positive camp, and it's been a really fun camp to, to kind of hear all the stories and 
I think we've done a really good job of, of covering that, of, of getting a lot of content up on the site on duckterritory.com. If you want to read all of that, you can do so. Uh, go to duckterritory.com. You can subscribe for as low as $1 for your first month, $9.95 there after that. Or if you want to go the annual route, you can save over $36 over the course of the year compared to the month-to-month rate and pay us a one-time payment of $75.18. You can also support the podcast in non-monetary ways. One, uh, make sure to give us a review on the podcast platform that you listen to us on, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever you use to listen to the show. Secondly, make sure that you click that like and subscribe button. It's free for the podcast. And it makes sure that all our upcoming episodes get sent directly to your listening device And you have a full collection of our entire library, which has over 350 episodes uh, of of this Odds and Audible's podcast. So multiple ways to support the show. We will continue doing a podcast. And once we know what's next for Oregon, whether they're they're back in practice on Monday or Tuesday, or maybe they they go back and have to wait a couple more days, regardless, we'll we'll continue doing podcasts. We'll get that information to you as soon as we have it. And until we do, for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Bream. Thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.